Have you ever had a certain memory that seemed like it was really there, only to find out later that it wasn't really there, that you misremembered how the world really was? Today we're going to be talking about the Mandela Effect and how the Berenstain Bears become the Berenstain Bears through a series of really weird events. And we're going to have a great conversation. And for those out there who are at Gray's Chapel, Pastor Mike is unfortunately not with us, but we do appreciate getting to come and share with you. Um, so thank you for joining us. We're going to be talking more about the seven deadly lies affecting the church and how there's a lie that Jesus is exactly, with an emphasis on the word, exactly like me. And we have all of that and more. But as I said earlier, even though Pastor Mike's not with us, there are still two of us here in the studio. I am Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there is one other here with me. And I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And Pastor Amanda, would you go ahead and open us up in prayer as we begin our program today? Sure. Let us pray together. Uh, God of all blessings, we thank you uh, for how you have been with your people. And we now thank you for this opportunity to have a conversation about who you are and who you are calling us to be. Uh, so be with us through the good, the bad, and the silly. And may everything we do be for your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And as I said, this is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And today we've got a great program for you. We're going to be covering a lot of different topics, and we hope that you join in with us. We thank you for spending some time with us. We're going to open up by talking about some penguins who went to the zoo. Now, this is part of our segment of unholiness today. And we'll just go ahead and let this video roll. And this was in Kansas City? Kansas City, yeah. Okay, so in Kansas City... The penguins were unable to get out and go around the we world. We are so happy to because that's what today. penguins Welcome do, Ebony. <laughs> um, and, and because they were unable to get out due to we're seeing how the coronavirus. To our... Let me pull the Take audio of this down a little bit. So because the penguins were unable to get out, um, they didn't do that. The zoo decided to take them to an to a museum. So yeah, you have the um, Nelson Atkins Museum in Kansas City, which has basically all these different sections, they everything from like ancient Egyptian, much better ancient to Greek, ancient Roman to art to and, uh, modern art. Um, very quite an expansive collection there, and, and um, you see the little penguins traveling around. And apparently, they liked Caravaggio, if I'm saying that name correctly. So who would be kind of more like we a. I guess classic art artist. Um, they liked him, or maybe more Renaissance. I really don't know the time period, to be honest. Uh, more than they liked Monet, who would have been more an Impressionist artist, which is funny, which I, I find hilarious. But Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they did like certain art more than others, and you got to ask yourself... You know, I, I'm, I'm here for, for weird things, like <laughs> especially with the stuff we're going to be talking about today. And I know we've parodied the X-Files and stuff before, I can kind of relate to Fox Mulder. Like, I'll hear some stuff out. Um, I'm not going to go along with stuff that's clearly immoral, and that's against the, the biblical morality. But I'll, I'll hear people out on weird, kooky stuff, like taking penguins to the museum. But at the same time, Pastor Amanda, is we, we have to ask, is this a holy thing to do, or, or is this crazy? Because these people are talking <laughs> totally serious about these taking these penguins out. And I know I quote Proverbs 14:12 all the time. There is a way that seems right to a man. <laughs> But in the end, it is the way of death. Does this seem right to somebody only to find out that this is just totally crazy? What are your thoughts on this? Give us the holiness response holiness to, to penguins at the museum. <laughs> at the museum. I don't know. I do, I do wonder how much the penguins, other than just kind of the stimulus of being in a new environment and being able, I guess, to explore and experience new things, how much they understand or, un or, or like get what they're doing. I guess it's a great PR stunt for both the zoo and the the 
a museum once they're able to return to opening their doors and allowing people to come in. Um, and I also want to know why penguins. Like, can penguins see color? Like, because you know, dogs are have certain colors they yeah, can't see. Yeah, well. dogs don't have all the cones in their eyes that we do. So I don't know about the penguins. Maybe the penguins could appreciate it more than like I guess. Like, obviously, you couldn't take a giraffe or an elephant to the to the museum. But I do wonder why we picked penguins. Um, which they're adorable. And if there was ever a job of being the museum curator for penguins, I would want that so bad. <laughs> but um, yes, I, I, it's it's very it's very cute. Um, but other than that, I'm not sure what's going on. Yes, I'm not sure what's going on there either. <laughs> so, anyways, continuing on with unholiness today, we're gonna get some art that was made by kids, and then it was made realistic by some adults. And let's just get right into this. This is amazing. <laughs> So here we've got a, a lion that was drawn by a kid, and this is how it was rendered to look realistic by an adult. And for those of you who are listening to the audio only, I do I do pity you on this. Um, <laughs> Amanda, I'll let you respond to these in, in order. Okay. So this is the lion. Do you have any thoughts on this? I just, it, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. <laughs> Let's lion. go on to the, to the chick. I actually like this one a lot. There's something really cute, kind of like a, a weird Pokemon-esque element to it. So aesthetically, I actually quite enjoy the little chick. The, the, you know, we should do another program where we give them names. Do you like the hairs that it's got? Yeah, I like the little whiffs of feathers that are kind of coming off of it. I want to pet that, like, really bad. I think I, that's great. Touching that is not on the list of things <laughs> that I think of. Let's go on to the third one. All right, I, I think this is a badger, maybe. Oh, the badger? Yeah, I think because he's got the little white line down the middle. But also, like, <laughs> And all the legs that we know badgers <laughs> have. It, like, if it didn't have the eyes, I would almost think that was its tail and they forgot to draw the head. So I'm mm, not, yeah, that one's that. creepy. All right, let's go on to the next one. This, the, <laughs> I, I'm going to hesitate from trying to identify this. Orangutan, <laughs> maybe? Oh, the, the, some kind of monkey, yeah. Um, the primate looking thing. Yeah. <laughs> His arms slope, floating above him. It's great. Yeah, that is great. Um, let's go on to the next one. Another duck. This one's not too bad. Oh, the little white duck, yeah. Yeah, the white duck's okay. Um, this this one is my favorite of them all. It's got two faces or at least two mouths. It's got a beak and a mouth on this one. Yeah, I love that. I like that. Um, whatever kid drew this was like he needs a happy face. Yeah, this is this is the next Mona Lisa, y'all. Like <laughs> the question of its expression. But you know, maybe this is just a beast from Revelation. He's actually got more faces on the other side. It's not actually a duck that they were trying to draw. The adult who interpreted this did poorly. Mm. I, think, I think there's a possibility <laughs> there's one of, the, of that. The seven, uh, yeah, angels or messengers, yeah. <laughs> and next we've got the bobcat, lion, tiger thing. I don't know, some uh, sort of cat. They did, yeah. It looks more bobcatish. You know, but I would imagine with the lions, the child was probably thinking more of a tiger. I'm I'm about to pull some mad um, biology flicks. I actually think it's a sand cat, oh. the Felis margarita. Um, which is actually its scientific name, the, the sand cat, because it's got the stripes on its leg like sand cats do. Hmm. And I'm going to say it's a sand cat. And if you haven't seen what a sand cat is, check it out. They're really cool. Um, and the last one we've got for your delectable taste is this horse here. Oh, that poor horse. <laughs> so, Pastor Amanda, we've looked at these. And now the question we have to have, is this unholy or is this just <laughs> fun? Like, where does this fit on the scale of making you feel comfortable with the world and uncomfortable with the world? Where, where does this actually sit? Well, I think the kids' drawings is definitely fun. But the the fact that an adult or multiple adults, whoever, um, sat down and were like, you know what's a great idea? Let's take these cute little innocent child drawings and make them like the stuff of nightmares. The stuff of nightmares, <laughs> indeed. So... 
Um, and I think we've got, we found a scripture passage as our response to this, which is also quite a phenomenal Psalm, uh, Psalm eight within itself, but also within this context, um, I think it helps humble us <laughs> to know that we're a part of this creative order. Yes. Um, and we look this weird, probably we do. All right. We'll hear the word of the Lord from Psalm eight. It says, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And for those who were watching, I filtered through those pictures, um, <laughs> flipped through them all real quick while she was reading that. The juxtaposition to God's beauty and how he cares for his creatures. And then what we're doing is creatures <laughs> down here. Um, taking God's creatures, God takes something... Um, miserable and make something beautiful you know we have songs about this he took and you know made something beautiful in my life we have things like that but then to see people take god's creation and the beauty that it has um the the majesty of the horse <laughs> and turn it into the stuff of nightmares it's it's ludwig ludwig um from bloodborne all right so <laughs> There is our unholiness today. Again, our conversations, they get more serious as things go along. So we thank you for joining us. We're going to be back to talk about something which is really, really fascinating and really bizarre. We're going to talk about the Mandela effect in our next segment. So again, we thank you for spending time with us. Alrighty, we are coming back. And we do thank you for spending time with us. Send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. We're going to be talking about the Mandela Effect. And this is actually something which is really fascinating. So if you've ever had a moment in life where you knew a memory was real, but then it turned out not to be. Yesterday I was helping my brother. We were working on his truck. He did a lot of work. He replaced the ball joints on his truck. I only showed up like the last few hours of this. He worked on this from like daylight to dawn, so I'm not taking any credit for his work. But anyways, while we were working on it, I was sure... Because we needed a pipe to beat a seal onto a another part of the truck. And I was sure that I saw a fairly large white PVC pipe up under one of the barns at his house. And Dad thought he remembered it too. Like we were both talking about, like, yeah, I, I know the barn. I know where you saw it. Both of us went out there. No pipe. <laughs> like nothing. It happens in life where we think we remember something. And then we find out that that's not true. And as Christians, we, we are to be a people of objective truth. Like there's this whole notion that's gone around that Christianity is like, you know, if it feels good to me, I have my truth, you have your truth. Christianity is built on objective truth where if Christ did not come to us, die on a cross and be raised again, fully, fully dead and then fully resurrected as the son of God who was fully man, fully God, then nothing matters. Like Christianity is not even fun as a philosophy. It's just making yourself miserable for no reason at all. You might as well just be a hedonist and go get in all the debauchery you want if that is not objectively true. However, if that is objectively true, that God, the word of God, come manifested to us, was born of Mary, grew up, lived, walked with us, taught, died on a cross, was really dead, and then resurrected. If that is true, 
that he died and resurrected and ascended into heaven with the promise to return again, then suddenly all, everything becomes important. The songs, the creeds, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it all has this magnificent power. But the thing is, is we as people, we need something bigger than us. So we're going to be talking about the Mandela effect and how the biblical worldview kind of relates to this and how this actually reminds us some of the beautiful things about scripture and Christian tradition. So as far as the Mandela effect goes, if you're not familiar with this, let me preface it by saying we're officially on Earth 3 now, <laughs> um, which is okay. We can go from Earth 0, 1, 2, and 3 because God is is the Lord of all creation, which includes all these different Earths. All the so multiverse. We're fine. Yeah. We're fine. yeah. <laughs> we, we just sorted that one out. I don't know if Amanda's okay with that. Oh, no, I'm perfectly okay with the theory of the multiverse. I actually think that's it's, it's a quite fascinating theory um, and an exercise also in the ideas of free will and the expanding universe. Uh, but God is is God of all. So it, it, no matter how many universes we have, that's, yes. that's it. With, with, at the risk of sounding like ancient aliens, God <laughs> has clearly told us he's been the, the God of the heavens and earth all along. So, I mean, I'm totally. Anyways, so as far as the Mandela effect goes, this is a really, really fascinating conversation because the Mandela effect basically amounts to a lot of people remembered something to be true. Just sort of like me and my dad, we remember that pipe being there, but as it turns out, it, it wasn't true. Um, and it's verifiably not true, or at least supposedly, unless you've transferred through time or something crazy like that, which I'm you're not on board with on that You're actually on the wrong earth. Yeah, you're actually yeah, yeah. on the wrong earth. So let's actually pull up some things for you. And we're going to go through this list. And if you're not familiar with the Mandela effect, I think you will be after we go through this list. I think it's kind of self-explanatory. Um, so how the Mandela effect works is people remember one thing, even though the truth is something different. And memory with humanity is very fickle. I mean, even when it comes to court cases and stuff like that, we only give so much credit to eyewitness testimony because we know people remember things generally bad. Like if you're in a car wreck, the chances of you remembering a car wreck are actually pretty small. You'll probably have some memory, but the chances that your brain created that retroactively in a crisis moment is, is pretty high. That's kind of how we, we work, and we've been able to kind of prove this now. Our memories may work pretty well in other situations, but when you're in a climax moment, when you're in a crisis trying to remember those specific details, a lot of times your brain doesn't, and it kind of later fills in the gaps. Um, so when we look at something through the eyes of the Mandela effect, you have something like this list here, which is from BuzzFeed, where a lot of people remember Oscar Meyer being spelled with an E, Meyer, when it's actually Oscar Mayer. Hmm. Did, was this one that affected you? You know, I can't really remember. I do remember singing that song, but I can't remember how we sang it, if we, we spelled it correctly or not. Um, and also, we were too poor for our baloney to have a first name or last name, so we didn't buy it a lot. Well, isn't baloney <laughs> supposed to be like the poor people's food? Right, anyway? well, that's that's the joke, is oh, you can't even afford the name brand baloney. Oh, I see. Well, um, so the, the whole phenomenon gets its name from Nelson Mandela, who a lot of people thought they remembered him being killed. And it turned out that he wasn't. So number two on this list is evidently the show Sex in the City is called Sex in the City, not Sex. I, in yeah, the that has to be just a misheard thing. I don't yeah, know. We're, we're scrolling past that one. <laughs> we would like to share with you the real ending of Queens. We are the champion, but for copyright laws, YouTube will crack down on us. So evidently a lot of people remember it saying because we are the champions of the world in the end. But evidently that's not there. I actually thought this was there. I don't know if you... I'd have to go back and listen to it because I know I've heard other... I know there are versions of the song where it ends with Of the World, 
like there's a there was a Disney movie, um, Chicken Little, that it, it like he sings this song, and I know he sings it with saying of the world because that's where like. Well, he, I mean, it it makes sense with the phrasing. Right. So, I wonder, was there like an original version and maybe a concert version? I don't know. Yeah, it's. I would have to like really listen. It's really to fascinating. That. All right. Well, back to our list. Moving on. Um, number four. People think the Monopoly Man, Rich Uncle Pennybags, has a monocle, but he doesn't. See, this one makes sense, I think, because people are getting, like, the Monopoly guy and um, the Planter's Peanut guy yeah. mixed up. So yeah, that, that kind of makes sense why you would combine those two. Yeah, that's... And maybe what's, um... Didn't, um... Not DuckTales. The the uncle, the, the Scrooge McDuck. Oh, didn't yeah, he have McDuck. a monocle? I think so. Maybe. That might be a new Mandela effect. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're just getting all the, those, like... The Mandela effect part two. <laughs> um, so the next one I am totally guilty of. Pikachu's tail is not black. I, now, I, I was hmm. big into Pokemon when I was in, like, third grade. Like, it was the middle of the 90s. Everybody loved Pokemon. You know, a lot of us were getting our first game console, which is, like, a Game Boy Color. And you thought you were the coolest thing ever with, like, a Game Boy Pocket or Color. Um, and I know I have drawn Pikachu's tail with black on the end of it. I could have swore that's how it was in the 90s. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I wasn't. We were actually were not allowed to watch Pokemon growing up. Oh, um, I see. But I was very popular with our friends, so we did see it a lot. And I think it makes sense because his ears have little... Yeah, I mean, it, it totally fits. But I wonder if... And now I'm trying to think of... Because they just did that new movie, um, Pikachu Detective, which yeah. is not the greatest movie, but it's really kind of cute and funny. Yeah, um, it's kind of what I've heard about it. I haven't seen it. But. So I wonder if they did that or... Like, I could not tell you. If you just showed me two pictures and they're like, pick the right one, I would not know which one was which. I, I would definitely pick the one with the black on the tail if it were me. So on is that Pikachu. the wrong one? Yeah, that's the wrong one. Oh, he does okay. not have the black. Huh. All right, and here's the famous one. Um, the Bernstein Bears are now the Bernstein Bears. And they're not named because Bernstein sounds like bears. Evidently, it's after Jan and Mike Bernstein, who huh. are the authors who created these characters. Oh, yeah, look at that. It says right there. But it's by. spelled with an A, not an E. Yeah, I so, don't know. I mean, we have names like Wittgenstein, Dr. Frankenstein. It makes sense for it to be Stein. Stein. But it's not Bernstein, it's Bernstein. Kind of like a stain on your clothes. I wonder. And I do want to... Oh, let's see here. Yeah, this this one drives people up a wall. This this one is what people have a hard time wrapping their mind. All right, number seven. Curious George never had a tail. Now, this one would have got me, too, because I would have been like, yeah, I've seen Curious George with a tail hanging on stuff. It definitely... The tail definitely looks wrong, but why would a monkey not have a tail? It's a good question. So this one's, this one's weird. I think that's on uh, whoever drew Curious George. I forget yeah. who that author is, but yeah. And now this one, Chick-fil-A, spelled with a C. Now, it makes sense. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about how Chick-fil-A is spelled. <laughs> Just more like eating it. Yeah, yeah. Eating it is generally of higher priority than spelling it. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, again, I'm not... Okay, so it's spelled C-H-I-C-K, right? Is that it? The Not what's on there? Is no, this? what is correct is C-H-I-C. There is no K. Wait, no, I think that's up. There are some of those who think it's spelled with a k however neither of those are correct it always has been c-h-i-c-k like chick huh. i don't know i don't know i i i really think it's just <laughs> now, like now we're to the point where we don't even know i don't know we're, we're like in between is, universes at this point we're not in like yeah. earth three or two we're, I have we're no in earth 3.5 on that one <laughs> um it, it it's like a crazy episode that is weird all right so darth vader doesn't actually say luke <laughs> i am your father he says no i am your father 
This is also a pretty pretty famous one too. Yeah, I think again, it's just a. I think well, because he does say like at one point Luke, and then like there's more conversation. Then he yeah. says no, so it's just people shortening it. So that one's not too like mystical. Yeah. Versus the Chick Fil A one really has me bothered. Maybe we need to go to Chick Fil A later today and find out. <laughs> so number ten is C three PO isn't all gold. And now this one, I, I've always known because it, it bothered me as a kid that he had like a silver leg. So I've known this all along. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is the interesting one because I think in, in one of the new ones, he has a red arm, but then it disappears like by the next movie, which that's a whole new different conversation about the new trilogy. But anyways, yeah. um, I always thought his silver leg was just because of the weird reflection of the sun when he was in Tatooine because it does seem more gold throughout the movie when you get yeah. further into episode four. Yeah, so. I, I thought it was like, an accident like well, making the costume and that's what i think george lucas said on the commentary because i'm the nerd who listens to commentary justin hates it my husband hates it but i love it anyways and uh george lucas said originally the idea was like this was such a mangled together droid um that that's mm. what he would have missing pieces now of course that all gets changed when he then went and did the prequel trilogy and you have which Anakin skywalker create some so i thought that was Really cheap than having Anakin Skywalker create him because it looked exactly like all the other protocol droids. And without me getting into the nerds, I'm like, is this kind of like a, a build droid droid kit where they all do look uniform? It's kind of like you might buy a computer and buy some extra RAM for it. Like, what are they implying here? Do you make him from the ground up? Because it's way too much of a coincidence that it looks yeah, exactly Yeah, I the think same. like R2-D2 holds up from the prequel to the original trilogy because he is like an asteroid droid. There's a bunch of them. They're all made like this. Yep. He just gets specialized because he hangs out with, with Anakin Skywalker. So yeah, C-3PO's backstory is a little like, meh. Yeah. Probably not the worst part of that movie, though. No, definitely not. not the, you know, everybody who was in The Phantom Menace, which isn't – it's not bad in the think of a lot of the way people – it's just bad acting. It's like they forced everyone to be there. I think, again, that's like the beauty of episode four. We are such nerds and getting distracted. But um, was everyone was serious but kind of knew this was ridiculous versus – I think in episode one, everyone – was so serious and thought they were being serious. Like they didn't understand how kind of almost campy yeah. it needed to be. It, um, and I it had such great actors in it too. Like, yeah, I mean, they you've really got do. Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor yeah. and Kira Knight or, well, yeah, Kira Knightley is actually in there, but Natalie Portman and like all these good actors in there that really could have brought a solid performance. And it just was so They, bad. they acted like somebody had a hot wheel track that was spanking them <laughs> off camera. And like, they were forced to be there. And like their alternative was get get beat with a Hot Wheels track. Um, <laughs> Such a specific thing. Were you beaten? Like, did your brother chase you around? With if you <laughs> F- as children have never had a battle with Hot Wheel tracks, you don't know what a whipping is. Um, <laughs> mm, no, Gummy was right. too protective of his Hot Wheel tracks for that to happen. Well, number eleven, <laughs> Mr. Rogers' theme song, which again we can't play because of copyright reasons. Um, it doesn't say a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It says a beautiful day in this neighborhood. I know that. I'm trying I, to, it's not fitting with the, the music, though. I, I remember him saying it during part of the song. I oh, thought okay, he said a, a beautiful it. day in the neighborhood, and then it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. This neighborhood. I thought it flipped, but evidently not. Eh, I don't know. Yeah. So since we can't play that, we'll move along. Um, number 12. <laughs> People think the Mona Lisa is smiling now, but she used to be emotionless. Now, this one, oh, goodness, let me get that pulled up where people will see the Mona Lisa. Now, this one, I think, is largely due to the fact that her expression is kind of, it's very Mute. muted. Yeah, it's, it's very docile, very tame. So, I think that's just people's 
getting new eyes to see and look at it on a deeper level more than it's changing. So I don't Does know. Does it I, get touched up or anything? Like do you, do do um? I don't know. I can't, language is is not coming. Like to have me. they restored it or anything? Yeah, I, has, I, don't, I don't think so. Okay, so that's but I could be wrong. Could if they restored it, maybe did they restore it a little bit weirdly, or maybe if they don't restore it, has it cracked in such a way that it you has know, changed its those expression? are actually valid questions. I don't mm-hmm. know the answer to that. Um, number thirteen, Kit Kat doesn't have a dash. Now, I never thought it had a dash, but I've also not spent a lot of time thinking about how it's spelled. That one you yeah, it's like Chick Fil A. I just kind of eat. <laughs> yeah, you you eat the Kit Kat and move on with life. Um, the next one. People in the 90s remember a Sinbad movie, but there wasn't. Or a Sinbad genie from the okay, 90s. I'm really pretty... And this even explains it in the text saying that Shaq apparently did one. And I think that's it. I think people just, like, impose Sinbad's face onto Shaq's... From Kazam. From Kazam. And then, like, they, they insist that it's two separate movies. But I'm sure they just saw it maybe as kids and didn't know which actor or personality they were seeing. And it just yeah. kind of all blended together. Yeah, so that, one's just, that. that one makes sense. Well, the next one is from Forrest Gump. And evidently he says life was like a box of chocolate rather than life is like a box of chocolate. And that one's a little bit too weedy for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. Not a big difference there. Um, now, from the next one is from Hannibal Lecter, or excuse me, The Silence of the Land, where Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lands says, Hello, Clarice. Except he never says, Hello, Clarice. Which I, I saw this movie recently, actually by your recommendation, and I thought I remembered him saying hello, Clarice, in there. Well, I think it's such a, like, I mean, the movie's old enough and it's been parodied and and, and quoted so much that it kind of has become that, like, where even if you've never seen the movie, when you do watch it, I think you see it through the lens of a yeah. culture that's seen it so many times. Um, this is odd. It makes me want to go back and watch that movie. Yeah. It's a solid, so, solid, scary movie. Yeah. The next one is... Evidently, Interview with the Vampire isn't called Interview with a Vampire. Now, the the truth is, I don't remember this movie existing. Yeah. So, Mandela Effect, this is news to me that this is even a thing. I remember people talking about this movie, but I was too young when it originally came out to enjoy it. And so, I'm not, like, there's some people that really love it. Like, it was the Titanic before there was a Titanic. Or, mm. I may have those reversed, but I don't know. But I didn't really care for it. Even when I went to go watch it older. Yeah. Um. It just—it's like watching Bram Stoker's with a uh, Keanu Reeves in it. Like, th- there's not Oldham. been very many good vampire movies. Hey, I'm all about some Christopher uh, Lee. Oh Hannibal yeah, no, things. I'll give you the classics, but I'm saying since uh, <laughs> at least uh, the last maybe 20 years. Well, actually, it's it's 2020 now, so maybe we might say in the last 30 years, maybe 40 years. There hasn't been Can, really great. Hor- uh, and, and I realize we track the movies. From the pastoral pulpit, which we're not at a pulpit, but <laughs> similar. Can we verify that tw- um, Twilight is bad in case anybody was needing the biblical assurance of that? <laughs> um, I don't think – I have not uh, watched or read them uh, to tell you any moral standing on them, but I do think from an artistic standpoint, any any kind of true link between truth and beauty, I, I would say no on those. There we go. There's you the intellectual <laughs> answer. All right, number 18 on this list. Evidently in Snow White, it's never said mirror, mirror on the wall, but instead it, it says um, magic, mirror. magic mirror on the wall. Now, I did know this one because it, it threw me for a loop. Because, yeah. Again, I, and some of these make sense because there's kids watching them, especially like I don't understand why people get so heated about the Bernstein or Bernstein Bears. Like we were all kids reading books like at a kindergarten level and then they threw in this like 10 letter long name like of course we're going to remember it spelled wrong and yeah. sounding wrong so yeah same thing with magic mirror on the wall you're like eh, eh. yeah 
All right, so the next one, evidently Jiffy peanut butter does not exist. Now, this one would have had me. I would have swore that there was a Jiffy peanut butter. Evidently, it's just Jiff. And that makes sense because isn't there a Jiffy Lube? There is a Jiffy Lube, so maybe it's a blend of those two things. That makes sense. That because would check I remember out. as a kid thinking, why are they making both car, um, like a mechanic shop and peanut yeah, butter? Yeah, that would check out. And the last one on this list is Fruit Loops is spelled with O's. Now, I, I knew this as a kid because I thought it was like... Oh, yeah, the little... Yeah, the O's. So that one kind of like blew my mind that they were that smart. They were misspelled. When it was really kind yeah, of being... Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so <laughs> the Mandela effect really is this thing where it reminds us that our memory is not perhaps as good as we thought that it was. And this actually brings us to the question, well, well, how do you know that, say, other things that people have collectively remembered are good, like... Uh, narratives and things that they tell by mouth so you've got like your oral traditions and things of that nature well one of the beautiful things about scripture um is how it is largely unchanged and the problem that we have with something like the berenstein bears versus the berenstein bears or jiffy versus jiff is that we as individuals and even other individuals we get together we as people we are valuable we're fickle we can change and we can have shortcomings but how things like scripture have been formed they have become things which are larger than any one person and even larger than any one collection of people. One of the things that you can consistently find throughout all 20 of these things which we discussed is that for everybody you've got that says, I remember the Berenstein Bears, um, and everybody who remembers, I remember Fruit Loops being spelled one way rather than the other way, there's still other people who can say, no, actually, this is the correct thing. You can actually go out and find the verifiable truth regardless of what someone's memory is. Well, Scripture... It has come to us through a, a form that has really been tested. And somebody asked me this week how the, the Bible got to be what the Bible was, and specifically the New Testament. They said, well, you know, why isn't the Gospel of Thomas included in there or something like that? And the answer to that is that our New Testament canon, it was formed with three criteria, and really three fairly simple criteria. Um, and it was formed several hundred years after the church had been in existence. So Jesus, he had come, he had walked on the face of this earth, he had died, resurrected, he had ascended with the promise of returning. And there had been hundreds of years of church history when the church actually gets together to develop a canon. And they had three things that were the main criteria for something to be included in the New Testament. Um, one is that it had to have already been circulating throughout the churches. So there had to be this long history that churches throughout the Christian world, they knew these texts, they were familiar with it. So it wasn't something that was new. It wasn't something that the church over here in Nashville said, oh, well, we've got all these books. They all say the Bernstein Bears on it, <laughs> which I'm actually of the opinion that the Bernstein Bears are correct. But again, I'm, <laughs> I'm not omnipotent, omnipresent. Um, so that you can't have a few people say, well, it's Bernstein rather than Bernstein, because what you do is all the churches had to be familiar with these texts and all the churches had to have these books in circulation. Well, beyond that, they had to also have some connection to the apostolic origin. So they had to have some connection to one of the 12 apostles. So Paul, he becomes obviously the, the 12th apostle because we forget that guy that they rolled the dice and pick out, you know. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember... One was one Bartholomew and one Mattathias or something like that, and then I forget which one got picked. Well, it would it, depend on which Earth we're on, maybe. Yeah, depending <laughs> on what Earth you're on, it was either the Bernstein and the Bernstein Bears. But but in truth, Paul comes in, and mm-hmm. so all the works connected with him, um, they get included. And some people will argue, well, that's why Hebrews is attributed to Paul, so it could have been included. And there's an interesting argument to be made, and the same thing applies to the Book of Revelation. But it had to first and foremost be circulated through all the churches. It had to be connected to one of those 12. Now, 
that doesn't mean that God wasn't working in other books. Does does anywhere in those two criterias mean that God wasn't working and active in new things throughout the world? Of course not. I mean, there's still some great theological texts that we refer. Um, even this past Wednesday, uh, ch- our church at Trinity did a study on um, Thomas A. Kempis' uh, devotional, uh, The Imitation of Christ. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's, there's works that are thousands and hundreds and there's books that are only a year old that we still uh definitely say that god is working through yeah. but they don't meet this kind of not even timeless but almost um kind of otherworldly criteria yeah. and to the last criteria on that list is they had to have sound doctrine mm-hmm. so it had to be in keeping with the doctrine that had been tested by time so it didn't belong to one person not any group of people but you could be living a whole two or three centuries apart and still hold to the same doctrine. Um, and that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture is it was structured in such a way to combat the faults of human memory. And a lot of times people will say, well, how do you know Scripture is, is valid because of the faults of human memory? Well, when they put together a criteria, they deliberately put together a criteria that would be working around that to make sure it wasn't Bernstein versus Bernstein. It wasn't little fickle things like, you know, is it Fruit Loops or, you know, Fruit Loops? Did Mandela really die? They put together a criteria that said, you know, it's, it is tested and endured through all of these things. Well, and I think that's something significant. We even see this in the gospel writing themselves. So even before the, we're the, the combining or the collaboration of our current canon, uh, Luke, in his gospel, will write a lot of times where maybe some of the other gospels record that there was one angel or one witness. Luke will make sure that there are two angels or two yeah. uh, witnesses because he understood in that in his current context, two you had to have two witnesses in order for there to be if you went to a court case or you know. And I mean, obviously, this is thousands of years before things like DNA or or any of the stuff that we use now to verify what has happened. Yeah. And so the one of the main criteria in the ancient world was at least two witnesses. And so yep. Luke, being conscious of this, makes sure that when he's telling the story, he's pointing out lots of people saw this. This was not just one person or two, or even yeah. two people. It, it usually is then followed like, if one person saw this, then you know Jesus reveal, reveals himself to Mary, and then he reveals himself to the two, to Emmaus, and then also to Peter, and then finally to the twelve. Or actually, I guess at that point, the 10, and then Thomas comes in, and you get to the 11. Um, and it grows from there until finally yep. you get to the ascension. So there's our, our scriptures. And I've also heard someone say that sometimes the the kind of the, the unity in our scripture is actually found in the fact that it is not uniform. Yeah. That we do have judges that argues with Joshua. We have prophets that argue amongst each other. Yep. Um, we have kind of two creation accounts. We have four gospels. Um, the fact that they don't always at face value a hundred percent agree actually speaks to the unity of the scripture because if we actually dig into it and read the heart of the message is the same. Yeah. And that takes some critical study, but it still is there within and again, if we're speaking from Old Testament to New Testament, not, not just the New Testament, we're talking of hundreds of years of oral tradition, then written tradition being yep. rewritten by hand, uh, not copied, <laughs> you know, you couldn't copy and paste. So I mean, there's a lot of ways errors are in our scripture and can come into our scripture. And yet, even though there are some grammatical and there's some contextual things that might be argued over, it's still the basic truth of it um, remains quite consistent. Yeah, and and to the point that you make there, if the scriptures were by and large a huge error in them, you think that the God who just took on human form wouldn't come and sort that out? Because we get a lot of issues. You look throughout the Old Testament where the people of God get things wrong, 
And God comes and makes some corrective actions there. <laughs> you know, that, that's one of the things that kind of gets me, how people treat, especially something like Genesis and other things, how they kind of just want to write them off. But really, they are built on one another, and they intertwine with one another so fundamentally. Like if, if death was not something that was ugly and hideous to God, why does Jesus come to defeat death? So like when you want to write off Genesis or something, you're putting a pretty big fracture through all of Scripture. Um, they all come together. And even though there's definitely some tension there because, I mean, obviously something like a chronological look at um, somebody's lineage, so genealogy or something like that, it's very different from a poetic work and that's very different from a gospel account. And that's why we call them the accounts of the gospel. That's the gospel according to St. Matthew, the gospel according to John, that sort of thing. It's not the gospel of them because they're not the Messiah. <laughs> but it... It is the gospel according to them. And that's where I, I've said for a while, I think good theology boils down to the correct prepositions. Mm. Um, they can get us in trouble. I think they get us more in trouble than closer to the truth sometimes. But um. <laughs> but we also live in a world where people hate prepositions. Like we <laughs> no as articles. As few words as possible. Yes, yes. Um, so we're going to wrap this conversation up. But just to, to kind of put a bow around all this, have faith in the fact that God has been working to reveal through us through many different ways. Um, sometimes God gives revelation to us very directly in our lives, but also through the Holy Scriptures, they have been presented to us, not by any making of one person or even one collection of people that have all existed together in one time setting. These things, they have been tested for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I'll wrap up this segment with a thought, and I'll let Amanda respond to it. I have come to really find that as a pastor, I, I do believe that tradition is inspired by God. But tradition is not the same thing as style. It's not the same thing as nostalgia. And tradition is something to simply, to give a simple definition to it, that two different people living hundreds and hundreds of years apart, they can fully experience it the same way. Something like the sacraments, the reading of the word, coming together and assembling on the Lord's day. Things that are actually prescribed to us through scripture. But they're things that we interact with. So you might hear the story of Esther. You listen to that story, um, which you, you interact with that differently than you would, say, a sacrament or something like that, where you, you physically get up and you walk through it, and you, it, it becomes your story in your life, even though it's a bigger truth that you are stepping into. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Esby? No, I think that's really great. I think I've kind of had a not really opposite uh revelation i guess of that but um you know in, in especially in our tradition we have what's called the wesleyan quadrilateral which is experience tradition reason and scripture and some people kind of want to make scripture a little bit bigger than the other four and i think please do not burn me at the stake hear what i'm trying to say but i think we've missed it when we try to make scripture bigger than the other four because if we're honest with ourselves scripture is the canonized record of the people of god's experience tradition and reason and so, yes, I guess then it does kind of make it bigger than the other three. But at the same time, we have to hear all four of those voices. Yeah. And I know, especially in our kind of postmodern time, we really are kind of iffy on experience because it can go really bad one way or really bad the other. But again, that's kind of the life of the church. We go through these cycles. Sometimes tradition gets out of whack. Sometimes reason does. Sometimes scripture becomes idolatry. But I think we have to be honest with ourselves and our church history. And by church history, I mean from the beginning of God calling uh, Abraham or even before that until now, um, that whole history speaks to that these are people with traditions, yeah. reason, and experience. And God has, uh, through the work of his Holy Spirit and through the people who have answered the call, have gathered all that information and have presented that to us in what we now call scripture. I think 
And I know now I'm running this segment on, which we've already <laughs> way overlinked the segment, but I that's figured. okay. Um, we don't have any anyone here aside from myself to run the computer and, and tell us to hurry up. So, <laughs> I think one of the reasons why scripture gets elevated so much is because it's the most immediately rigid of them. Mm. Like tradition is pretty rigid too. Um, true Christian traditions are, if we'll just have eyes to see them. Um, but scripture is very immediately rigid. Like you can open it up. The Bible's not you know, changing. A to B, yeah. However, to your point, people will take that whole sola scriptura mentality and start to worship the Bible and elevate it to where it becomes a demigod, if not a fourth person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what you're addressing there when it. Yeah. And I think that's it also by I think putting scripture in its right context, it does help us treat tradition a little bit better. Yeah. Because if we don't make scripture an idol then we definitely can't make things like tradition reason and um experience idols and it just helps keep i think things in the correct tension to where we can be a little bit more apt to dealing with things like what do we when we get to tradition how do we speak to true traditions versus nostalgia or style or experience how do we treat things like that was an emotional response versus an actually spirit-led experience and the same thing with reason when does that become humanism versus god calling us to something more than we could ever think or imagine um but i think because scripture is so contained like you're saying if we can get that one right, then the other three will flow a lot easier through our sure. lives and our um, our churches. Sure. Well, we will be back here in a moment for our final segment. Thank you for joining us and thank you for spending time with us. And as we are coming back, and I try to hit the right keys, the hot keys on here, um, we're going to be talking now about the last lie in our series on the seven deadly lies in the church. And this is the lie that we're going to be talking about today is the idea that Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus has to be exactly like me, that he came to be exactly like me. So continuing our study on the seven deadly lies affecting the church, we're going to discuss the last of our seven deadly lies. And this is the lie that Jesus came to be exactly like me with an emphasis on the word exactly. Now, this deadly lie can be summed up as a misunderstanding of who Christ Jesus is. And this is really a mentality that's formed that says Jesus is defined by who we are rather than we as people being defined by the truth of who Jesus is. Does that sound fair, Mm -hmm. Amina? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And, and um, you know, obviously we believe in the incarnation. That is not something we're debating in this conversation no, at, all. at all. But I do think we take the incarnation um, as almost uh, per- as a permission to, to continue in bad behavior. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what uh, we're discussing. I think you nailed a permission to continue in bad behavior because this leads to a lot of bad behaviors and false objections and people doing things they shouldn't. So just to give one more clarification, this deadly lie that's affecting the church can be summed up as people saying Christ Jesus is defined by me rather than me being defined by the truth of who Christ Jesus is. Mm -hmm. So I want us to open up by looking at our scripture on this, and then we'll come back and have a conversation. Pastor Amanda, would you read our scripture? I hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. It says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, that is the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you. Now, it's fascinating he says that because Messiah was understood to be a very human thing mm-hmm. to an extent. Um, I mean, people knew that it would be an anointed one of God and there would be some hand of providence involved in it. So it wasn't just like you got to pick yourself up to say and say, oh, I guess I'm the Messiah now. So it wasn't just something totally human and of human origin. There was providence involved in it. But it was expected that that would be a, um, a man more than they would expect a God incarnate. However, it's interesting. Peter says that you are the Messiah. And that second phrase there, the son of the living God. It's fascinating that he he makes this recognition. Um, but this deadly lie we're talking about today that's affecting the church is this lie that Jesus came to be exactly like me. And now it may be easy to dismiss this and say, how could this be a problem? But hopefully just reserve your judgment. And you might find how serious this can be. So one side of this line is a line of thinking that is very common in the church that we have today. And Amanda made the statement earlier that people have excuses to continue in bad behavior. That's kind of what we've got here, though the other side of this lie is as well. But the first side I want us to talk about is the deadly lie that is the line of thinking that emphasizes the church as a purely emotional experience. This whole idea that the church should exist to provide you with an emotional gift. So it's kind of like Santa Claus comes down the chimney and instead of giving you toys, he just gives you the emotions that you want. Like here, here, you... I checked the list twice. You're good. Good emotions for you today. You got that experience. And that the whole purpose in Christianity is to get that emotional hit. If the church you're going to now doesn't give you that emotional hit, because again, Jesus is defined by you. You're not there to to worship Jesus. You're there to get that, that hit of emotion. You know, just pack up and leave. And there are times where one should should examine if where they're at is, is appropriate. But the whole emotion argument is a false objection. You know, that that's not a, a serious. Yeah. And I think it's hard sometimes for us to honestly have that conversation. Yeah. Because um, like you said, there are some times where, I mean, this is, there are some legitimate reasons where churches have failed to be the church and there might need to be some exorcism <laughs> um, taking place um, and exercise in uh, in that. But uh, An exercise in exorcism. And so in trying to figure out what is correct. And I think other times, though, there is the reality uh, that, you know, we are m- different members of one body and there are churches and communities that take on there. There are communities that are more like the hands and some communities are more like the foot. And so you might try to find a church that best suits uh, your, you know, if you're more like a foot, you may go to a community that acts more like the foot. That's a bad analogy. But at the same time, though, then sometimes we use that excuse for just allowing ourselves to travel and do whatever we want and not finding a community. Because the honest thing as well is the church is, full of, uh, as Pastor Mike will say, sandpaper people. And we may be, again, to continue the bad analogy of the body, um, we may be afoot and, and full of a congregation of hands. And that doesn't always give us an excuse to kind of just pick up and go and do things our own way. And that's hard, and that's difficult. And honestly, yeah. I've been to churches, um, I'll say growing up, where I felt out of place and not, and especially I grew up in, in a parsonage family, so that added its own little bit of tension. But you know, where you didn't feel like this is where you could worship. This is where you could encounter God. And it was finding and working through that and discovering that's not why we're there. We're not there. Again, Christian experience is part of the Wesleyan quadrilateral. It is part of how we understand who God is. God can reveal God's self through personal inspiration, through uh, uh, natural uh, revelation and all those different things. But if we only make that revelation dependent on how I want to receive it, 
honestly, not only does it downplay God, it downplays ourself. Like we miss sure. out on so much. Sure. If we're waiting for God to speak again, to use the the ancient narrative of of Moses versus Elijah, uh, Elijah wants God to speak in the earthquake, and he would have missed out on the presence of God if he only defined the presence of God as the earthquake. Yeah, absolutely, and. You kind of hinted at the solution that we have to this deadly lie, and that is to see the true beauty of God and the beauty that God has in store for you and not shut off your eyes and say, I'm only going to see the beauty that I want to see. Mm. Um, so that's really the first side of this is this whole idea that church is a purely emotional experience. And, you know, I just wasn't feeling the thing I wanted to feel there. It didn't, you know, there was something there that I wasn't getting, you know, that's a false objection. If you, if you, usually if things are lining up with the apostles creed, <laughs> um, and you just say, well, you know, I was looking for that emotional feel. That, that's a false objection um, because you're, you're essentially saying that Christ is defined by who we are, not we as people being transformed and modeling ourselves after the truth of who Christ is. Yeah, and I think the other thing just to say on this too is to say not to dis- disregard our emotions either. Yeah. And it may be when we, when we, maybe we come out of a worship service and we're like, I didn't feel it. Maybe we do need to look, be more introspective and be like, okay, why did I not feel it? Was it, I was just tired? Was I, you know, maybe hungry? Um, Some very physiological responses. Am I having a bad day? Is there so much chaos in my life? And then we can move from there to be like, okay, was the spirit really acting and I just wasn't ready? Or was there something legitimately wrong I might need to investigate? To the, to the, our, our earlier conversation, one of the things that leads to this is there is a common practice where people confuse tradition Mm -hmm. with nostalgia and style. And think that Christian tradition is sort of the style of worship. There's an element of truth to that, that there's a a basic format. But the basic format has nothing to do with, like, music, which (laughs) is where most of this falls down. Um, So it it leads itself to a place where people confuse tradition with nostalgia and style rather than going to church to participate in the true Christian worship, which has been going on for thousands of years. I find it fascinating, though, that a lot of people who have the false objection that say, well, you know, I want to go to church where those programs are, something like that, which has almost become a stereotype, but people actually say it. I've I've literally heard people say this quite often. Um, A lot of the programs that people want didn't even exist like 100 years ago. (laughs) And the way that we kind of fork out our ministries and we have like your youth pastor who your children's pastor you don't see a lot of that in the new testament the book of acts because they kind of all assemble together um but fascinating enough and this has really been exposed in the time of the coronavirus and the whole shutdown and everything going on we really seem to lack the imagination of the programs that defined the church for 1900 years things like when they're sick you know martin luther when there was sickness um, a plague was going through where they expected it to kill 60% of the people in your town during Martin Luther's time. And he's got the Reformation going on, though, of course, he wouldn't have called it that. But Martin Luther tells the people in this community, if you leave because of this, you're out. And he kind of like, yeah, you're excommunicated from the church. Like, you're here to, to, to serve a God. If you die, you, you will see Jesus in heaven and, and you give praise to God there. Um, but we live in a day and age where the whole imagination that the church should be the forefront of medicine. And and a lot of people say, well, the church is opposed to reason and science, aren't they? Well, you've been told a false history. Even things like the Big Bang Theory actually were designed by a monk, originally written down and proposed by a monk, and people mocked at him. The the Big Bang Theory, which is often put in juxtaposition to Christianity, which I'm not ruling my verdict on that, um, was originally mocked because they said it was a monk's attempt to explain God creating the origins of the earth in six days. And now people use the Big Bang Theory to beat up on Genesis, which is so 
Just the irony and comedy of history is too good to be true. But back to this whole idea of the line, the church, that Jesus gets to be defined by who we want it to be. In doing that, we've lost our imagination for the beauty that God wants to call us to. We send our kids off to university for four years and people, they leave the church in droves in the age where we're in now. But in, you know, a couple hundred years ago, they took someone like Coletta Corby and sealed her up in a wall for four years. <laughs> she goes out, vow of poverty, has no money, builds 17 monasteries, and then goes on with her life. Um, we have lost our imagination of the ministries of the church that have been going on for thousands of years. At the same time, we have a lot of people saying, I want to go to that program. Where's your, you know, do you got the biggest, baddest volleyball team? Do I want that? <laughs> um, and we've forgotten the true callings of the church. And, and that's the thing. That's not to say that some of those programs can't be fun and can't be things and they, they that can the be church meaningful too. can yeah. do. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But they're not the heart of what a church right. is. And, and, and I think that's, again, that's kind of where we've kind of gotten the the horse before the, or the cart before the horse <laughs> horse before the cart well I can't we've already now. clarified the earths of berenstein bernstein <laughs> right. but i think we've got we've got we've got some of these expressions before um these mediums before the primary expression yeah. we, we've gotten uh we've gotten sometimes the the paint before the structure right and so um it, it, it is something where we've got to be careful and it, it can slip in so easily because some of these like scripture are vitally important to the life of the church scripture even though the bible would take hundreds and thousands of years to finally be formalized as we know it scripture has always been an important part of the people of god i mean yeah, you absolutely. have moses giving the law yeah um which really kind of starts this idea of having this written instruction down that would define a people yep and it, it and yet we can take scripture and get it out of whack and get it out of place and like i've heard stories and i'm trying to give them grace but they'll be like well i was far from god and then they would list all these terrible things that they would do and they're like but but the the family bible stayed on our our, our uh, coffee table and and we never put uh, you know our coffee on top of the the family bible as if that made everything okay like yeah. you're like I think you've kind of got things reversed a little there, sure. but, um, yeah. and I think that's what, as we're particularly pertaining to this side of this line that the church has fallen into, it's kind of like, if I can make religion in my image, which is the heart of idolatry, uh, then it's okay. Yeah. Then, and that's, you know. that's kind of the heart of what we're talking about with this line is that you are defining Jesus by your standards not surrendering to the Christ-likeness, the transformation that he has for you. Uh, one clarification here. We're talking about these seven deadly lies affecting the church, not because we hate the church, but because we love the church. Mm. And we want all of us to be raised up and to move beyond them. Um, so the other side of this coin that we're going to talk a little bit now is that of the idea that says Jesus is not God at all. Mm. And this has actually been one of the deadliest lies in Christian history. Um, and it's one that's fairly common. You still people have, have a few like weird people that come out with this today. But in the early church, it was pretty common for people to say, Jesus, he may have been, you know, similar to God, but not really fully God. He was sometimes man, sometimes God. Um, and the picture that I pulled up is actually of St. Nicholas. It's weird. Santa Claus has come up in this twice today. Um, it's good. This, this is, this is the, I've never seen this picture before. And we have talked about St. Nicholas a lot. And I think we've had pictures of St. Nicholas at the... Um, the Council of uh, Nicaea before. Yeah. But this picture I've never seen before and is phenomenal because it's an action shot, right? It's yeah. not just kind of St. Uh, Nicholas standing before Arius or Arius before Nicholas. This is this to, is right yeah, into it. And to it. clarify who this is, so St. Nicholas is the guy that's pushing the other man. The man 
um, and the blue is Arius, and he's a heretic who said Jesus is not God. Kind of the short version of it. And I know I'm oversimplifying it, but for podcasting purposes, Arius says Jesus is not fully God. And St. Nicholas, you know, some say slap, some say hit. I, I actually want to see like WWE style, picks up a folding chair and smashes him, you know, gives him the people's elbow right there in the middle of that. Um, but unfortunately, the we don't we don't have that raw VHS footage of that day. <laughs> That day, um, but we do have this picture here, and it is pretty great. You it get the action shot. So Arius, and he caused a lot of division in the church. Mm. Oh, like I'm, we're not talking like there's just one or two people, like whole, yeah, it got nations, continents being ripped apart by the teaching that Jesus is not fully God. It had huge effects for hundreds of years in the church, and to this day, it's still brilliant. affects the world. But. Um, we we largely defeated this through a series of councils, <laughs> through a series of officially, of, um, yeah. Through some official Pope slaps. You you wouldn't, Saint oh Nicholas man, slap. this is really going to give me trouble. You wouldn't think anything of theological significance would get figured out in a district assembly, but apparently in, in the fourth century, it did work. It did work, but <laughs> they also, the the fourth century version of folding chairs were involved. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think of it like a Monday Night Raw it's just so great. And I know and the, the other part of the story is that St. Nicholas actually was arrested and spent a night in jail. I think some say three nights. Um, I don't know if they were going for a Jesus theme there, but um, by his other bishops. And they said, that's not how a bishop acts. And they took away his bishop robes and he had to repent. And God, not not other bishops, by the way. This is the fun part of this, this story as well. Not other bishops, but it was God in a revelation that gave St. Nicholas back his bishop robes after he repented. Again, phenomenal story. So we will put that little caveat in there. So for those who are like really wanting to WWE somebody, just hold up. I'm I'm bringing it. Bring it all. (laughs) I like, I almost, I was like, yeah, I could do a night in jail for that. No. (laughs) Um, So this whole notion that Jesus is not really fully God, fully man, that Mm -hmm. we are defined by who the truth of Jesus is, not by who we want to be. It's been a problem in the church. It's still a problem today. And the solution to this is to be willing to see, having eyes to see, ears to hear, the true booty, true beauty of God and the revelation God has in store for you. And not just the beauty that you want to see. Not just only saying the things you want to see, only feeling the things you want to feel, but being truly receptive to that. Yeah, and th- this is, it is a difficult task because, I mean, um, I, my mom's doing a study right now in uh, uh, ancient or the early church and some of the, the female saints that are often uh, not talked about. And she talked about the, the Cappadocian fathers, which actually really would be called the Cappadocian four because three of them were, were guys and one was uh, Macrina, the younger. And they talked about how widespread this heresy was that even as you move into the early 400s or I think the mid uh, 300s into the early 400s, they're still dealing with this. And there were churches, good churches, that honestly wanted to pursue who God uh, was and is. And yet they had fallen into this Arian heresy. And so even when the bishops would come and try to correct them, and it talks about one of these Cappadocian fathers whose name I can't remember would go in there and he went with his sister and they tried to correct this. And they actually, actually kicked him out. They they excommunicated the person that was actually right. Yeah. And it was the sister who stayed there and was able to continue to preach and teach. And then when he comes back, when this brother comes back, he finds that the same people who try, who ran him out of town are actually welcoming him and loving him. 
And he realized it was because they they needed to hear the truth of God. And it, yeah. it, it's a very difficult heresy. And I think we see its fingerprints still working in our oh, world sure. today. Absolutely. And it, it doesn't, it's not as obvious. <laughs> and we don't have as obvious a reaction like St. Nicholas slapping areas. Um, but I think there's something to be learned in that that patient endurance of the yeah. sister who said, I'm going to stick with this to teach you the truth. Because if you're truly seeking after God, you're going to find the truth. You might stumble a little bit. You may get the prep, the wrong preposition in the wrong order sometimes. But if you continue to seek after God, and God is your goal, not yourself, then you're going to find these truths. It may take a long time. For some people, it takes a lifetime. Yep. But it, it it's just it's just very fascinating how uh, the early church dealt with it. And um, you were talking earlier about how it divided a nation. It was a, I believe, constant. Not Constantinople. Constantine. Constantine, who was like, listen, y'all are dividing my empire. Sit down, get your stuff oh, yeah. together. <laughs> People went to like real legit war over this. It was... Which is very... not the most appropriate response, but it is, I mean, you got to give them credit the for being willing history. to stand up to it. Yeah. yeah. And try to figure it out. Yep. Um, so as we wrap up our program, we hope that you enjoyed this. And I know it's been a long, but it's been fun. Yeah. Even fun conversation. Um, so as we wrap this up, um, we do thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. Um, if you'd like to support our program, one of the best things you can do is just grab a link, share it with your, your friends, your family. Um, we're on YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes. Download us. Curious with you. If you'd like to donate monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the Logos. Make sure you're being faithful to your local congregation and tithing and supporting there. And we're not here to be a replacement for those things. We're here to be a supplement to them. So that being said, if you know anybody that would like to talk with us, you want to have any guests there, send them our way. We'll have fun with that. Um, final things before we, we close. Um, let's have a closing prayer, and then we'll give our final thoughts. Pastor Amanda, would you pray us out as we close, and then we'll have some interesting final thoughts. <laughs> all right, let us pray. Uh, God of all good things. We thank you for your many blessings again. And we thank you that you did put on flesh and walk amongst us. But you became like us so that we could become like you. So give us strength. Uh, give us grace. May we be transformed more and more into the image that we were created to be. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And final thoughts. Have you seen anything interesting this week? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Those penguins in that art that we talked oh, about yeah, earlier that, was quite fantastic. That is a, a shocker. Um, um, I met some really, really cool people. There's a place called the Front Porch down the street from me. And that's kind of the moment where I realized that we really were moving into Earth 3, which again, God <laughs> is the ruler of all the heavens and the earth. Um, so cool business. They do a lot of um, game stuff. They It's kind of like a cons consignment shop with antiques and stuff. A lot of cross-section with the things that I'm interested in. Again, I'm, I'm a bit of an eccentric dude um i have enough self-awareness to realize that <laughs> though i guess i shouldn't say i'm a kook because we try to be theologically orthodox um to the best of our power and holding ourselves accountable to greater standards than we are anyways well we thank you for joining us we're going to dismiss um so with that if all hearts and minds are clear god love you and have a blessed day <laughs>